Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrell pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. Man. And that's remarkable. Alex, neither of us are feeling uh, very inspired to come up with a joke to start the podcast this week. So I thought instead I'd borrow a joke. Are you ready? Please. This is uh, this is what white male comedians are very good at is taking other people's jokes. So, yeah. Taking other mean, jokes from white males, too. We're just yeah, recycling yeah. them. Yeah. I mean, they never get old. So uh, this one comes from Stephen Cohen, one owner of the Mets terminally online at Stephen A. Cohen, too. Somebody asked him on Twitter, Uncle Stevie, if you had to pick what you would want your legacy to be like in 20 years, Kraft, Steinbrenner's, or the buses, which one would it be? And he said, how about still alive? And then someone replied to that and said, is there an owner in sports currently that you look up to at all? And he said, yes, anybody taller than five foot eight. <laughs> oh. He's somehow getting worse. Like, it's, yeah. The jokes were kind of funny at the beginning. Yeah. I mean, he is, he's a dad. I think we, I maybe said this last week, but, or maybe I said it in a text thread. I don't know, but like, it's a little worrying to me how much time he's spending on Twitter. You know, like, like there is, you know, you take an hour or two out of your day to um, answer some questions from fans, you know, that have been sifted through a dozen times by PR people. Uh, so just to make sure you're only answering the the cream of the crop, you know, and no no scandalous subjects on there. And I really believe that he's like sitting in his bed at 11 p.m. just doom scrolling like the rest of us, you know. I imagine that's a little bit uh, different for him given that he's a billionaire. Uh, and so Doom feels a little further off. Do you think but he has a phone only for Twitter? Like, he so he doesn't more ac- than- Yeah, so he doesn't accidentally like trade stocks on the phone or something? Yeah, I'm sure he has like a, like a stocks phone and uh, he probably has a new Mets phone yeah. too. Mm-hmm. Mets seem like an Android organization. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If we're being honest, most baseball teams do. Yeah. Well, I don't know anything about trading stocks, so I don't know if you need a whole new phone for that, but it sounded right. Maybe we can get Ross Stripling on the pod. <laughs> the joke that won't die. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Alex, we're going to get to the few pieces of news that have happened in the last week, though it's been a slow week. Before we do that, I am Bobby Wagner. I am Alex Basley. And you are listening to Tipping Pitches. So Robinson Cano, second baseman for the New York Mets, is going to be serving a 162-game suspension. I imagine he probably will appeal or has appealed by the time you've heard this. Doesn't seem like there's any um, ground for him to stand on. He was suspended for Stanzalol, I think is how you pronounce that. Stanzalol? Stanzalol? Should I just keep Uh going? I'm not even reading it from a piece of paper. I'm going from memory right here. What it, it's probably something that uh, our president has mentioned offhand can cure COVID. I think that's the realm we're in. Stan, stands. I'm going to look this up now because now I'm getting self-conscious. St- st- Stan is it? Hmm. Yeah. 
Stanozolol, Stanozolol, Stanozolol. This is Nozolol. Is this like an insult that you know the thirteen-year-old redditors like throw around, or just like like a di- a diffle version of raffle? You know, like Stanozolol. <laughs> Uh, I don't know, but that's the drug that he was suspended for. Um, a drug made famous in the late 90s and early 2000s in baseball. So Robinson Cano uh, flipped it back to yesteryear with this PED. He didn't yeah, even dude, do something. Upgrade your supplier. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of players and media personalities or former players or whatever um, were kind of making fun of him for that. I have no idea why Robinson Cano was taking this drug. It is now his second suspension, which is why it will be 162 games. Um and it's pretty much completely marred his reputation as it comes to baseball legacy and Hall of Fame. I care less about that. I want to ask you, why did he do this? Because he will be sacrificing all $24 million that he was due in 2021. And I, I would venture to guess that he would have been okay without it. I don't think that it was the thing that was helping him hit over 300 and still be you know, a decent bat in the middle to late part of the lineup that he is. Um, it's not like making him Mike Trout anymore. So I, w- what's the motivation here? Many times on this podcast, I have said, it's fine to do PEDs to get the big payday. But he already had the big payday. So go into the mind of a Robinson Cano and tell me um, why he was doing Stenozolol. I mean, my thinking is that he is a guy who's, at this point, is nearing the end of his baseball career. He's 38, which is bizarre to me because I feel like Robinson Cano has been playing baseball for much of the time that I've been aware of of baseball as a sport, right? So I grew up with him and um as you did as well. And so I this reads to me as a guy who's just kind of trying to squeeze whatever he's got left out of the tank, you know? Uh, as you mentioned, this is not the first time he's done this. And if we're being honest, the amount of times he has taken steroids is likely larger than two, right? Like he's, I am not going to assume that he took steroids, got caught. And then years later, took steroids again and, and got caught. Like, like this is a thing that has been happening. And most likely he is far from being the only player to do this sort of thing. He got caught. Yeah. That's, uh, we hate to see that. But it seems like a guy, it seems like a guy who recognizes that he's kind of in the sunset portion of his career and maybe fighting for a starting job at this point. So, like, what do you, what do you have to lose? Like you said, certainly not $24 million. I, yeah. But also, as you mentioned, he's doing fine for himself. Yeah, I think he's doing okay for himself. Uh, maybe it is. Maybe it is what you're saying. Maybe he's in the twilight of his career, and he was trying to hold on to that last little shred of of the window for him being a good to great to elite hitter that he has been for his whole career. Cano, Cano is one of my favorite players on the Yankees, and um, I always have sort of that tortured, complicated relationship with the Yankees players because, like, I hate the Yankees because I'm a Mets fan. Um. But he always seemed, I mean, and, and seems too, like the steroid thing doesn't change it. Cool, calm, collected, um, very charismatic and the type of player that we sort of idealize here on the podcast. There's a reason that he was our header photo on Twitter for the first two years that we did the show. 
And it's just a bummer because now there's sort of this, he has now brought himself through his actions, if this is true, into this sort of mired conversation that we have around players who take steroids. You know, the black mark on the record, the Barry Bonds, the Alex Rodriguez, the type of thing that needs to come in the first or second line of his baseball reference obituary, so to speak, once he retires. <laughs> and so it's like... We're getting morbid. <laughs> for his career's obituary, yes, not his yeah, real yeah. life obituary. And um, that's, a, that's a bummer. That's a bummer. Yeah. I, I think it's always a shame when great players... Ha- when that becomes the narrative about them. And, and you know, you said, you know, I think neither of us care too strongly about Hall of Fame prospects, but this is a guy who early on his career had potential to be like an all-time great Yankee. You know, before he... Like greatest second baseman ever, potential. Like legitimately one of the best second basemen ever. And that's a bummer because he'll never be included in that conversation anymore. Not by, you know, legitimate quote-unquote thinkers about the game. Pour one out for Robbie. Pour one out for Robbie. Though, before we move off of him, I want to say, well, well, first of all, I don't give a shit about if you did PEDs when it comes to your Hall of Fame case. If you deserve to get in the Hall of Fame, you deserve to get in the Hall of Fame. The Hall of Fame is not telling the full story of baseball if it's not including many players who are taking PEDs in an era where other players are also taking PEDs. You want to put the asterisk next to his name because he was suspended for however many games? Fine. Do it. But I don't think this should be completely prohibitive, though I know that it will be. The other thing I'll say is wasn't I wasn't too proud of Mets fans when this happened. The way that they were rejoicing over this guy getting suspended so that they had $24 million extra dollars to spend in a slot to move Jeff McNeil over to second base and uh, the potential to go fill another hole with a $24 million per year guy or multiple guys to fill that salary space. Wait, you didn't, you didn't get the, the check from Steve? No, because Cano's money goes to every single oh, Mets fan. Oh, oh yeah. Like, it's right. literally your money now. You can do whatever you, whatever you want with it. It's it like must your, be Mets, caught up your in, Mets stimulus check. Yeah, it must be caught up in the USPS, which has been completely you know, blown to smithereens right. in the last nine months, along with my other stimulus checks. The stimuli. Um, no, I I was annoyed by that. I'm not the type of person to like jump at this opportunity when this guy is having a clear, really low moment. Like, even if he did make a dumb decision, it doesn't need to be instantly within minutes. What are the Mets going to do with this money? What is Steve Cohen going to do with this money? Like, I don't know. Maybe give it a couple days, guys. That's my PSA. Yeah. I don't. Time it's and, not that time nuanced. and place, everyone. You know. Stay classy, is... Queens. <laughs> um, so we talk about Theo. Let's talk about Theo. Theodore. What a Teddy. Compli- what Teddy a compl- E. What a complicated topic in the last two decades of baseball history. Why don't you give people the, the proper context, context for why we want to talk about him today? And, um, and then I'll sort of do my spiel. Uh, so we are talking about Theo today, because as I'm sure most of our listeners know by now, uh, he stepped down as f- from his role as the president uh, of the Chicago Cubs. He's not going to be 
involved in running their baseball team anymore. And if any of the indications uh, that he's given are true, he's not going to be running any baseball team uh, in the near future. Now, does that mean he is out of baseball completely? Uh, No, he's given a lot of kind of hand-wavy answers at trying to, quote, save baseball and um, what that means and whether or not um, he's implicated in why baseball got to where it is today is, I think, part of what you want to um, discuss. But it's a big shift because he, it was kind of like that, you know, that, um, that wonder kid, right, who made it work who was on the cutting edge. He is the model of what every baseball team would like their GM to be like today. And so that's why we have to talk about these things today, right? Like if, if the Cubs and the Red Sox don't win their World Series, which are huge ifs, that changes everything. But like, we're not having this discussion about him. So I don't know. You have, you have thoughts. We both have thoughts. We've been working through them. Um, but do you just kind of want to take me through, um, your, your feelings about Theo, where the narrative maybe gets lost for you a a little bit and and what we're kind of leaving out? So I think we should address Theo, the GM first, before we address Theo, the baseball philosopher, because I think that's going to be a more extended conversation. Theo, the GM, he's fantastic. He's a great GM. He knows how to surround himself with good people, which is the number one skill that you can have in being a sports GM this day, these, this day and age. Because it's not about, it's not about just like being a good negotiator or being a good leader or being a good deal maker or being able to identify baseball talent. It's about all of those things. So very few people can do all of those things all at once. And so he has been able to surround himself with really smart people. One of those people being the person who is going to succeed him in Chicago, Jed Hoyer, who by all you know, accounts is as qualified to run a baseball team as anyone is going to do a great job, including Theo's own account, which he said in his letter. Yeah, although Jed kind of gets the short end of the stick here, right? Because yeah, now that Theo the fucking sees dynasty that, the, is dead. that the, the building is collapsing, he gets out while he can, and it's Jed's job to trade off all of their stars for parts. So good luck, buddy. We're rooting for you. My bones with the discourse around Theo as a GM are, I think the seed of it is in what you said when you said, it's a very big what if for the Red Sox to win that first World Series. Though they did win multiple World Series while he was there. So it's not like he didn't set a standard of winning and repeat it. But then also 2016, the Cubs are literally like a pitch away from losing. So the way that Theo gets discussed in the baseball community, I think is indicative of the way that we treat the front office as the main character. And it's just not. Like, if Jason Hayward doesn't give that speech during the rain delay, Theo is not the 100% guaranteed championship that we think he is. If Rajay Davis has one more person on base when he hits that home run, then Theo is not the guaranteed championship that we think he is. It's, it's a lot of things. If Chris Bryant makes an error on that play instead of smiling as he's throwing it to first base, like who knows what happens? So I think that we should give credit where credit is due to, to Theo. But I also think that the larger portion of the credit pie chart should go to the players 
And I know that he identifies the players. I know that he's in charge of identifying the play of developing the players. But those players also still have to do it, you know? Like he could be the smartest guy in the world. And if Chris Bryant just decides he just doesn't feel like trying that hard, then the whole thing is blown up and they don't win the World Series. So I think it's a little overblown in how we talk about GMs. Like I don't think if he went to the Orioles, they would win a championship within three years. Wow. Theo, did you hear that? You have a you have a challenge set out for you. No, you're you're totally right. Or if that, he went to the like, Rockies, like he's not a guaranteed championship the way that we have treated him like he is. And he's not even I don't even think that he's the main character of the Red Sox or Cubs wins just because he broke those two curses in a very fortunate, very storytale, very narrative based way. I think that he gets all the books written about him. He gets all of the credit. He gets all the speaking engagements. And it's like, dude, guess what? A lot of these players also carried that burden and delivered when they needed to. Yeah, you're you're definitely right in that he has uh, really become the the main character of these stories. I think because be, like precisely because of that narrative, right? Precisely because it's really easy for us to kind of latch on to these um, curses. Uh, these jinxes, whatever it is, baseball superstitious, right? And so when you meet people who are kind of willing to um, engage with them a little bit, let alone even, you know, overturn them, we we eat that shit up. And I don't think that that's the, the fault of of baseball fans either, so to speak. I think it's more a symptom of the larger economy uh, that is built around baseball and just the way that the the media talks about the sport. This has been cultivated for for decades, right? It's fantasy baseball is has done, I think, as much harm to, to baseball fandom as it has done good because it makes us sympathize with the owners and the the GMs, and we feel like they're the ones getting it done, and. All that to say, Theo is really good. Like he's a really smart guy, and obviously, yeah, of course. <laughs> so, Theo, come on, tipping pitches. I just thought, yeah, in the middle of your spiel right there, I just thought, damn, maybe Theo is the dream guest because not only would it be like, you know, not only could we crack jokes or whatever, like that would be a good segment, but it would run out of, I think, energy quickly. But I think Theo would be a dream guest if he would be someone who could come on and talk about it from the GM's perspective and talk about some of these existential threats to the game, which he has verbalized to reporters before. And I I think it's a good point to kind of switch gears a little bit and talk about Theo as the baseball, you know, ombudsman, Theo as the baseball philosopher. Um, There's a quote from, there's a quote that a friend of the show, Hannah Kaiser, tweeted out, I think. She must have just asked him in his retirement Zoom press conference. Um, you know, Theo has said multiple times that he's interested in baseball jobs that will be able to address the existential threats to the game that we have today. She asked him, what are those threats in your mind? And he said, it's the greatest game in the world, but there are some threats to it because of the way the game is evolving. And I take some responsibility for that because the executives like me who have spent a lot of time using analytics and other measures to try to optimize individual and team performance have unwittingly had a negative impact on the aesthetic value of the game and the entertainment value of the game. I mean, clearly, you know the strikeout rate's a little bit out of control, and we need to find a way to get more action in the game, get the ball in play more often, allow players to show their athleticism some more, 
and give the fans more of what they want. What What is your first reaction to hearing a GM say that? Name that as the first thing that he thinks of when you ask him what is an existential threat to baseball. Well, I actually think that he's right. And he is he's right up until a point because he names um, analytics and the ways that front offices have leveraged them um, to create different types of baseball clubs, which is a really big impact on the game, largely negative, although not from the aesthetic point of view necessarily, but more from the the labor aspect, right? I am not saying, I think owners have been, I, I think GMs have been taking advantage of sabermetrics and the problems it's creating is a higher strikeout rate or we don't get to see athleticism. Yeah, like, too many walks, too many strikeouts. You could sh- sure, if those are problems you have with the game, fine. I don't think they're problems for either of us. But that's not even really the issue at hand here. There are much greater threats to the game than like uh, I, t- pace of play, right? That's that, that's not the issue here, buddy. Talking about pace of play as an existential threat to the game. As opposed to talking about what you're what you're discussing and the way that you know franchises have broken trust with the fans and trading away stars like like Lindor, like Bryant, like Mookie Betts, obviously that's a massive threat too. Um, it strikes me as sort of like talking about you know the fiscal cliff instead of talking about <laughs> climate change. It's like yeah, <laughs> sure ostensibly it could be a problem that games might take seven hours one day if we keep going further and further down this route but we're never going to make it to that point or no one's going to be watching when we make it to that point if we don't make the game more accessible to people of all backgrounds of all ages of all genders of all races who want to play the game you know what i mean like and that's what i immediately identified that was lacking from his statement like if he really wants to fix existential threats to the game and I don't know Theo that well. Like I haven't followed his quotes day in and day out like somebody who covered the Cubs might have or like somebody who cares more about GMs or cares more about Theo's narrative than I do. But if he really wants to fix existential threats to the game, then he should use his clout to address the fact that only, not only, but mainly rich white boys can play this game from a young age and progress up through this game to the point where they are the ones who are getting the lion's share of the opportunities to go to perfect game camps and to go to showcase camps and to get recruited and to go to elite colleges and then to get drafted high enough that they have a big enough signing bonus under the CBA that his side has negotiated so that people who get drafted later who have maybe come from more marginalized opportunities have less economic security to the point where they don't ever actually make it to the bigs. Like these are the existential threats he should be thinking about if he really wants to fix the game. You know, if that is the meal that he wants to put on his plate and try to eat, then like why are we even talking about pace of play at all? It's exactly what we what we criticize Rob Manfred for. So just because he's doing it in a smoother, more charismatic way doesn't mean that we should just let Theo get away with it. Yeah, well, and I also think that Theo and his ilk 
have actually done more, I hate to say harm, but like had a more tangible negative impact on how we talk about roster construction than Rob Manfred, who can go up there and, you know, bloviate all he wants about pace of play or whatever. But ultimately, he's doing it at the behest of the owners. And so he's an easy target for us. But like, honestly, Rob Manfred is not single-handedly the one who's torpedoing this game right now. There are larger forces at work, like GMs who advocate for salary suppression, right? That advocate for um, actively being non-competitive as a means of saving money. And, and that's where the lines start to get really blurry between GMs and, and owners and all these things. But, but Theo is like the guy who legitimized all of this stuff. The guy who is like, oh, tanking works. We actually, we actually can get away with doing this for a few years. Theo's a genius. Sure, that's fine. If Theo wants to talk about existential threats to the game, he should personally examine the fact that he's the one who sent Chris Bryan down for 11 days to quote-unquote work on his defense so that the Cubs would have another year of control over Chris Bryan. You want to talk about existential threats to the game? How about the fact that the cornerstone of your rebuild wants to immediately sever ties with your organization because you manipulated him and treated him like shit? That seems like an existential threat to the game. I don't know. I'm not a Cubs fan, but I might care a little bit more about the fact that Chris Bryant has no intention of staying in Chicago than I care about the fact that the average game time is three three hours and 11 minutes. Theo's going to Rob Manfred to propose pitch clocks. I think that's that's <laughs> where we're going to see him next. I'm curious to see what he does next. I hope he doesn't join like the Biden transition team, but maybe by the time <laughs> this podcast is out, he probably already has. It's gonna be it's gonna come out of nowhere. Whatever he ends up doing, we're gonna be like fucking sure. I guess you can do that at this point. I'd be interested to see if he switched sports. Yeah, al- although I think he his specific naming of baseball needing saving when he leaves indicates that maybe he wants to stay in the game, but from a different angle. Yeah, I hear that um the vice president of baseball operations for major league baseball position is open. Has been since do, vacated I by someone named was, Tim Ang. I do hear that was uh, recently vacated, yes. Maybe he'll join Billy Bean and um, John Henry's <laughs> sports team acquisition company. I mean, they are looking to literally purchase a new franchise. So They're looking to purchase a new franchise, but also they had to lay off several members of um, the Boston Red Sox organization. Well, Speaking- they, had to lay them, they had to lay them off in order to buy the new franchise. Yes. Oh, oh yeah. So you save 200k and then suddenly you can afford a 3 billion dollar franchise. That yeah. I mean the math the math does work there. Yes. If you think about it. There's always there's always money in the banana stand. Exactly. Um speaking of organizations laying people off, last thing we got to talk about Alex, some fun news. The Dodgers just laying people off despite the fact that they won the World Series and are the richest franchise in baseball besides the Yankees. This article from ESPN notes that a source estimated the team lost quote in excess of a hundred million dollars this past season uh, despite the fact that they won the World Series that's that's bullshit that is that's not true 
the Dodgers were not a hundred million dollars in the red last year. Now they maybe made a hundred million less than they wanted to. They may have exactly said what it is. <laughs> they may have not hit their targets, but that is not the same as losing money. Sorry, budget for that. That's what a, the rest of America did when the pandemic hit. We got thrown peanuts, and everyone said, "Well, you know, go out there and just find to hit the job market, make it work." The notion that an organization at the pinnacle of their sport handling everything as spick and span as you possibly can as an organization. The Dodgers are the model franchise, both in player dev, wins, competitiveness, even as far as like merchandising, branding, stadium experience, they rank very high. You know, how they run their business operations, streaming rights, you know, local cable revenue, all of that shit. The Dodgers are at the top of any list of any sport in North America, baseball especially. And yet, they win the World Series and they still need to lay off people who are just members of the organization to save like, I don't, like max? What, what could be the max they're saving here? Five million? Five million dollars? I was, was going to say a few, a few million, yeah. Like, oh, God. I just don't know. I don't know how to talk about this without like bashing my head. You know what I mean? Like it's just so mind numbingly craven and stupid and dumb that I I just don't, I don't have anything smart to say about it. I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't either. We, uh, the teams have basically told us that this is how they were going to approach the off season for six months. It's not a surprise, but the shit sucks and it's not going to end here. So let's get back on that horse. (laughs) Fire up indeed.com. The last thing I'll say about this is that I just want to get to a place in our country where like like normal people, consumers, in this case, fans of the Dodgers, actually have the ability to like call their bluff, to call bullshit. You know what I mean? Like, I wish that there was a better mechanism for us to say, hey, when you say the economic devastation caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. Maybe you're weaponizing something that actually has fucked over a lot of people's lives and didn't really change your life all that much. You know, you billionaire ownership group who probably flew to a private Island several times during the course of this pandemic and will continue to do that. And will write this off for tax losses for the next decade and a half. Maybe don't, trample all over the grave of 250,000 Americans who are like actually dead. I wish that there was a mechanism for that. And I, I know that there is not, but at least we're here talking about it. <laughs> we're, we're doing our part. So if, uh, if Andrew Friedman is, uh, is listening, you know, open invite as always, Andrew bring, bring Theo Drop the documents. Uh, which which I, I mistakenly referred to him as uh, as Theodore earlier, and that's not. His name at birth was Theo, so I want to apologize oh. um, and just get that on the record, that his legal name is is uh, is, uh, is is Theo Nathaniel Epstein. Oh, so, that's a nice name. You can take that to the bank. Strong name. That's, how, that's a name to get yourself hired to run an organization at 28. 
You know, it, it's a name that that wasn't so afraid to name their boys uh, weak names. You know, that is a strong name. That's an it's an American name. Not some of not some of this nickname like Alex or Bobby shit. Yeah, that's weak stuff. That's weak stuff right there. Okay, Alex. Short one. Short pod. We've had a few pods that have run over in the last few um, months. So we did a short one. <laughs> last few months slash eternity of uh, this podcast is mostly just saying we got one or two things to talk about. This is going to be a short one today. And then 90 minutes in your feed, folks. I know. And like this is maybe my number one note as a podcast producer. And then I can't even follow it. So I'm a fraud. <laughs> I'm a fraud. I'm a fraud. Um, two quick things from me before we get out of here. And I mean quick. They really are quick. Number one, I tweeted, who wins the World Series first, Mets or Yankees? A poll. And the answer was 52-48 Mets. I don't know, That's... man. They say democracy works. That's what I hear. Democracy <laughs> right. Working? Democracy works for, for baseball. Uh, Predictions. Yes. yes. That's, this is d- direct democracy. We've we now gotta... voted and now the Mets have to win. That's right, how that works. Exactly. Well, okay. So, clarifying question was that that they were going to win the electoral college or the popular vote? Um, because you know, Yankees might win the electoral college, but with a forty-eight percent vote share. Yeah, right, right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it all depends on the on the ground game. I- <laughs> talk to me about the blue wall, baby. <laughs> Let's do blue wall talk. Um, and then the other thing that I wanted to mention before we get out of here, um, you know, as many listeners know, we have created shirts in the past. We currently have one t-shirt design available on our bonfire um, link. If you search bonfire tipping pitches, you will find it. It is the Phillies design, Phillies inspired design of the unionize the Miners shirt, unionize the minor leagues. It's been a calling card of ours for a little while now. All the proceeds are going to more than baseball. I bring this up, Alex, because you and I have been thinking, plotting, planning on how to expand our merchandise store, so to speak. Um, and we're working on it. So for everybody who wanted a different design, for everybody who hasn't gotten a shirt yet, for everybody who ordered one and their order was canceled, we're working on it. We are also working, thanks to listener Mora, who left us um, a voicemail on Anchor. Uh, we're also working on getting these shirts union printed, union made. Um, so we recognize the irony of the fact that the shirt is about unionizing the minor leagues and was not union made. Um, we built the shop in a hurry and we're working on making sure that this, that these um, productions are more equitable and, you know, support the labor who made them. So I don't know if that's going to be in the next week, two weeks, three weeks, month whatever, but we will, of course, have updates for people uh, here and on Twitter. Alex, as the designer, as chief merchandise design officer, you can change that title if you want to, chief (laughs) creative officer of Tipping Pitches, what do you have to say? What should people look out for? We got got some new designs dropping. Um, I don't know if there are any Tipping Pitches hype beasts out there. 
But we got the threads. Keep an eye out for Jonah Hill. You know, he could be rocking a tipping pitches shirt next week. Okay, okay. Um, Who is the most famous person that you think we could get to wear a tipping pitches shirt? Like, if you devoted all of your energy to it, who do you think? Most famous person. So I think that we could probably get, I, I think, a good amount of baseball players. Not as in we could get every baseball player to wear one, but I think if we picked Mike a random Trout. baseball player. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a good portion of, of baseball players who wouldn't be too hard. Um, well, you just text them or email? I, <laughs> You're just going to call Twitter. On Instagram, you know. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I see what you're saying. I see where you're coming from. Sean Doolittle would wear one if he if we directly asked him to buy one. <laughs> <laughs> this is the the door-to-door canvassing we need. Can yeah. we offer you in a tipping pitches shirt, sir? Have you heard the good word of the Lord? We'll provide you five for free, Sean. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Okay. So shoot for the moon then. Who else? A-Rod? <sighs> No, um, almost no chance there. I unfortunately, I, are we are we sticking with baseball? Like, are we going? No, in general, Jonah Hill counts. Jonah Hill counts. Yes. Um, I don't think I don't think any amount of canvassing uh, on our part could get Jonah Hill to wear a tipping pitcher shirt. I don't but know. I don't all know. right, our listeners, if you if you've got the link, it feels like the answer that you don't want to say, but you should be saying is Bernie Sanders, right? That's who you want to say. You want to say him. Senator yeah, Sanders, I, if you're listening. <laughs> yeah, but could we get a I, we could get a Sanders staffer to do it, probably. Yeah. yeah. But nobody knows. Like name a Sanders staffer. You can't. <laughs> That's false. Uh the, the answer is probably like a, a dipshit right winger who enjoys baseball. Like, you know. Could we get Aubrey Huff to wear a Tipping Pitches t-shirt? Like, no. Like, oh, like, this is could such we get... a lame direction to go. I'm just saying. I'm just being real with you, man. Okay. Well, if any of our listeners are famous, hit us up. If any of our listeners know someone famous or are, you know, three degrees of separation from Kevin Bacon or otherwise famous people, please DM us. Tipping underscore pitches. Email us. Tipping pitches pod at gmail.com thank you for listening as always should we have like a week to week sign off what do you think should I say thank you for listening and then you say something like steel bases not profits and then it's just over <laughs> right yeah I kind of I kind of like the direction maybe we change it up every week you know like the listeners aren't sure what's coming like can you find the podcast on iTunes I don't know stay tuned Will your email bounce back? <laughs> Mailer Damon says the tipping pitches pod doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll be back next week. Thanks, everyone. Hello, everybody. Uh, I'm Alex Rodriguez. Tipping pitches. This is the one that I love the most. So we'll see you next week. See ya!